Welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Society of San Francisco Sunday Morning Worship Service Podcast. For more information or downloads of previous audio services, go to uusf.org. While you're there, check out our monthly newsletter, Weekly Flame, and much, much more.
Welcome, everyone. Welcome to those joining us on live stream this morning. Can everybody turn and wave? Wave back there. Hey, good to have you here. So this weekend, we begin the celebrations for the Lunar New Year, and we hope that good fortune is there for all. And our hearts certainly are with the people in China as they confront and encounter the enormity of the challenge of dealing with the coronavirus. So good fortune certainly extended to them. I want to welcome our special guests who are here this weekend, our coming-of-age age youth who have traveled from around the Bay Area to be with us. They've been spending the weekend on what we call a street retreat, where they visited with our friends in the Tenderloin, our partners, the Faithful Fools, and with the good folks down at Delancey Street. We're very happy you're here with us. I also want to make a warm welcome to any of our visitors. If you're here for the first or second time and you're comfortable, we invite you to raise your hand and let us welcome you. Welcome, indeed. Thank you for being here. You'll find a visitor card, a yellow visitor card in the pew racks, and you're welcome to fill that out and drop it into the offering, offering plate as it comes by, and you'll get on our mailing list to know more about what goes on here in our church community. There's so much that happens, and it's a great way to stay connected to what we're doing. So welcome. Let us gather in the spirit of love and join me in our opening hymn number 360, Please Rise in Body and Spirit.
join me in reciting our unison chalice lighting. The words are found in your order of service. We light this chalice for the light of truth and the warmth of love and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together. I'd like to now call up Gary and guest to talk about our um, upcoming tea party. Thank you, Christopher. So I am Gary Lorenz, and this is my niece, Chelsea Cullen, and we are both auctioneers. And uh, this coming Saturday, February 1st at 2 o'clock, we are having our Mad Hatter's Tea Party here, where we're going to have a live auction, silent auction, games. It's going to be a lot of fun and raise a lot of money for our church. So what we're going to do now is we're just going to have Chelsea give a little bit of a sample of what you would see on Saturday. And uh, before I step down, I want you to remember, we want you to raise your paddles. You can use your hands today as fake just for this fun little exhibit that we're going to do. And, uh, you know, we're both from New Jersey, so I'm not going to leave here without a couple words from Bruce Springsteen before you do raise your paddle, okay? But I won't do that in the microphone because I probably hurt your ears, so. With your paddles, remember to rise up. I'm going to rise up. I'm going to rise up. Thank you. You're going to lead us off? When I breathe in, then I breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I breathe out love. When I breathe in, I breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I breathe out love. I breathe in peace when I breathe out. I breathe out love when I breathe in. I breathe in when I breathe out, I breathe out love. That sounded good. Wonderful, and stay standing. Thank you. And join in the spoken covenant and sung doxology. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its prayer. This is our great covenant to dwell together in peace, speak the truth in freedom, and to help one another.
recognizing there is human suffering all over the world in the course of natural and human catastrophes, we ring our gong today in honor of two such places of suffering. We ring to remind ourselves of the seven children who lost their lives this year in federal custody at detainment camps and in symbolic witness to the 70,000 adults and 11,000 children in these camps, and for all who have died seeking a better way for their families or freedom from fear. May we keep them all in our thoughts, and may we ease the tide of suffering in the coming week, however so we can. Invite us now into time of spoken and silent meditation. Our words come from the poet Max Ehrman. The piece is entitled Desitara, a poem for a way of life. Go placidly amid the noise and the haste and remember what peace may you find in silence. As far as possible without surrender be on good terms with all persons. Speak your truth quietly and clearly and listen to others for they too have their story. Be yourself, especially do not feign affection. Neither be cynical about love for in the face of all aridity and disattachment, it is perennial as the grass. Nurture strength of spirit to shield you from misfortune. Many fears are born of fatigue and loneliness. Be gentle with yourselves. You are a child of the universe no less than the trees and the stars, you have a right to be here. And whether or not it is clear to you, no doubt the universe is unfolding as it should. Therefore, be at peace. And whatever your labors and aspirations in the noisy confusion of life Keep peace with your soul. Let us be together in silence, attending to our hearts and our hopes for ourselves, for one another, grateful for the gift of life. Thank you. 
One of my first jobs as a new psychologist was helping to run a social skills group for young adults. This was not an effort to work on subtle social interactions. This was basic skills, like how to introduce yourself, make a request, and, and wait while the other person spoke. These were earnest young folks who were trying their best, but social settings just made them supremely nervous. And for them, the conventions of social grace had not come built in. To look at them, though, you'd never have known or expected any particular social challenge. There were seven people in our group, with two of us hoping to help. We would meet on Saturday mornings and practice asking for plastic hamburgers and fries, and paying each other with pretend dollar bills. If hello and how are you, got added into the exchange, that was a special success. Despite the potential for humor in this situation, the group would mostly touch your heart. They were trying so hard, but skillful they usually were not. It's a challenge to work with one's boundaries. Eventually, We'd go down to the street to the donut shop to see if all this effort would work in the actual world. At the store, the tension was palpable. The two of us were struggling with when to step in and when to step back. In all the anxiety, the hellos and how are yous went out the window for sure. And the general awkwardness of behavior was just painful to watch. Sometimes the volume got embarrassingly loud, and at other times at the counter, no words were spoken at all. There could be that deer-in-the-headlights panic, pacing and fidgeting were common, and occasionally there was an outright dash for the door. As for the clerks, their patience was thin, they, of course, were not there to understand. They were there to sell donuts. Come on, man, what's wrong with you? Hurry up, there are people waiting. And sometimes from a customer, there'd be a quiet, gee, these guys are just weird. Though we helpers could hope all we wanted, we couldn't really offer protection. We felt stuck on the double-edged sword of diagnosis. Would a, would a label engender compassion? Or would it unleash a flood of misperceptions and judgments already assumed? Would labels divide us all into boxes of us's and them's and lose the humanity that all of us share? However unique it might have seemed, that social skills group from long ago was a wonderful lesson in tolerance and in the complexities of understanding, a lesson in the power of our assumptions and our expectations, too. How hard can being a donut, buying a donut be? Pretty hard, it turns out, for some. And there were no real bad actors in this donut store scene but there sure was a lot of frustration and a lot of judgment going round. I have since decided that being a therapist is an ongoing practice in humility, a practice in knowing how little you know about another human being. While you have to make some tentative judgments about the way a person's life works or doesn't, it's dangerous to think that you ever have it down right. You can talk to someone for months, even years, and one day they'll tell you something you never knew, and it changes how you understand them entirely. We are all such beautiful and complicated mysteries. Our truths may be hidden, but they are our own. And who is really to judge?
It's not always easy to recognize life's turning points, but occasionally they make themselves perfectly clear. It's late afternoon, and I'm standing on a midtown subway platform, waiting for the downtown number one train. The platform is moderately crowded, but 50 or 60 feet away, a figure catches my eye. He's a young man, no more than 32 or three, five foot ten or so, dark hair, pasty complexion, a little pudgy. He's making his way slowly along the platform, approaching and speaking, speaking briefly to every person standing on the platform. He makes eye contact with each as he nears them, a certain demented fervor reflected in his gaze. One might assume he's making a pitch for spare change, but as he draws near enough to be audible, one learns it's not a plea he offers, but an assessment, a judgment, an approval or dismissal of each and every person he encounters. You, you're out. You, gone. You, you can stay. You, out of here. And so it goes. No reason is given for these pronouncements. Whatever his guidelines are, he chooses not to share them. He doesn't strike one as threatening, and he makes no attempt to act on his verdicts. The announcing of them is what he is about. One is in, or one is out. That's it. Case closed. Easy, you might think, to dismiss him as just another subway eccentric, but the effect he has on those he addresses is undeniable. At first, each feigns disinterest, but eventually, as the moment of truth draws nigh, as their assessor approaches, one can sense the anxiety, the panic even, as each one man, woman, and child awaits his or her judgment. I too am but a man, only flesh and blood, and try as I might to remain disinterested in his progress, I find myself casting the occasional askance glance his way. Now only five or six people separate me from my moment of truth, and I can feel my heart pounding within my chest. My mouth goes cotton dry, and the slightest little tick, just a little twitch, appears over my right eye. The 50-ish woman in the business suit and thick glasses is summarily dismissed. The homie in baggy shorts and Chicago Bulls jersey makes the cut. The young immigrant mother who seems not to grasp the import of this moment is given the okay. The bookish man in the maroon cardigan sweater 
with balding head and face is cut loose with particular relish. The young woman with tattoos and the piercings and the Astor Place haircut is looked upon favorably. And now it is my turn. All noise ceases. I become immune to all other external stimuli. It's as if there's no one else in the world but this man, this gatekeeper, this sentry, this dean of underground admissions, and me. And it is with an exalted sense of relief that I hear him pronounce in authoritarian tones, you, you can stay. Oh, sweet acceptance, to be among the selected, the honored, the chosen few. I find myself against my own better judgment, now looking with some disdain and perhaps a tinge of pity upon those who didn't make the cut. How terrible to be excluded, to be found unworthy, but no one has ever claimed life to be fair, have they? I choose not to dwell on why some are chosen and others cast free. I, per to, I prefer to revel in my new found status, my new life among the elite. To start this morning, I want you to join me in a short thought experiment. A thought experiment is a what-might-happen scenario that sparks our thinking when we consider our responses to complicated situations. In philosophers' circle, this one is known as trolleyology. Picture this. You are at the controls of a trolley switch. You look up and see an 
out-of-control trolley barreling down the tracks. Just ahead, the track branches into two. To your left, you see five people standing on the track. And on the other track, you notice a lone figure. If you do nothing, the trolley crashes into the five people. But if you flip the switch, the train strikes just one. You have a split second to decide. What do you do? Don't worry, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. Hopefully, none of us will find ourselves in facing this kind of moral mind twister. But in reality, we are always at the switch, trying, out, trying our best to do the right thing, to make the best possible judgments. Our personal judgments, good, bad, tempered, snapped, wise and unwise, matter. How we judge and how we act on those judgments are life-changing. We don't need to look far to see how our judgments can have deep and lasting effects on our lives. Right now, in the Senate chambers, we watch and listen as our elected officials debate the question of presidential power abuse. The final judgment, regardless of which way the vote goes, will have lasting impact that will be judged by the generations to come. But this morning, let's leave the politicking outside and turn the lens inward, inward and ask ourselves, what shapes our judgments? And how do those judgments shape our lives? In this often bifurcated, split-screen, blue-red world we find ourselves in, do our judgments bring us closer together? Or do they push us further apart? So first, let's ask, where does judgment come from? Some believe it resides out of us and beyond us. Like the song said, it's in the good Lord's hands. Others understand judgment as instinctual, rooted in our primal responses. Do our impulses tell us to fight or flee? For better or worse, we go with our gut. Now my tendencies tip more transcendental, meaning that my judgments emerge out of my lived experience, my emotional responses, and are shaped by the relationships with those around me. So let me illustrate with a story that I find actually quite transcendent. It happens to belong to a Unitarian Universalist minister. She writes, my husband and I and our two children were taking a long trip, traveling the so southern coast of California. We stopped at a restaurant that was nearly empty. My son, Eric, a one-year-old, sits in a high chair, squealing with glee. Hi there, hi there, he calls. Two words he thought were one. I look at what the source of his merriment might be, but I can't take it in. A man, dressed in tattered rags, a coat, baggy pants, a zipper at half-mast over his spindly body, gums as bare as Eric's, and his hands flapping in the air, he calls out, Hi there, baby! Hi there, big boy! I see you, buster! Dennis and I exchanged a look that was a cross between what do we do and Poor devil. Eric continues to laugh. Hi there. Every call was echoed. The old geezer was creating a nuisance with my baby. I shoved a cracker at Eric and he pulverized it on the tray. I whispered, why me, under my breath. 
Our meal came and nuisances continue. Now the old man is shouting across the room, do you want to play patty cake? Do you know how to play peekaboo? Hey, look, he knows peekaboo. We eat in silence, and Eric, who's running through his repertoire for the admiring applause of a guy from Skid Row. Finally, we had enough, and Dennis went to pay the check, imploring me to get Eric and meet him in the parking lot. I trundle Eric out of the high chair, and I look toward the exit. The old man sat waiting, his chair directly between me and the door. Lord, just let me out of here before he speaks to Eric. It soon, become, it soon becomes apparent that both the Lord and Eric have other plans. As I draw closer to the man, I turn my back, walking to sidestep him and any air he might be breathing. And as I did so, Eric leaned over and launches for him, arms wide spread. The guy's eyes asked and implored, would you let me hold your baby? There's no need to answer. Eric has propelled himself into the man's arms, and suddenly a very old man and a very young baby were involved in a love relationship. Eric laid his tiny head over the man's ragged shoulder, and the man's eyes closed and I saw a tear hover beneath his lashes. His aged hands full of grime, he stroked the baby, and I stood awestruck. He said to me, you take care of your baby, and somehow I managed, I will, from a throat that contained a stone. He pried Eric from his chest unwillingly, longingly, as though he was in pain. I held my arms open to receive my baby, and again the gentleman addressed me. God bless you, ma'am. Have a Merry Christmas. I said nothing more than I muttered thanks, and Eric ran into my arms. I ran for the car, and Dennis wondered why I was crying and holding Eric so tightly, and I was saying, my God, my God, forgive me. My guess is we've all been to that restaurant at some point in our lives. Our instincts run deep. Separation, we believe, is what keeps us safe. But then these moments arise and something breaks through. We pause, we catch our breath, we get our bearings in a dingy restaurant, a downtown donut shop, or a darkened subway platform and set a new course. In those unexpected moments, something shifts. Walls tumble down. No longer separate, we become seekers, searching to know more. We take off our blinders, and we play some peekaboo, happy to see you. And with each turn, we go deeper softening the hard wires that keep us apart. When we go about our days with our eyes closed, we short-circuit the connections. We other and blame. We give a wag of the finger and wonder, what's wrong with you? When we feel shut out, one impulse is to grab the donuts and hide. And the worst of it comes when blamers turn those hiders to haters, severing the networks that hold us together. If what we believe is that we are better together, then we need tools to help us repair those connections. One tool I carry close by goes by the name of RAIN, 
RAIN stands for recognize, allow, investigate, nurture. It came my way through the help of a meditation teacher, Tara Brock. We pull out RAIN when we find ourselves stuck in those heightened states of judgment. The first step, hit pause, hit the pause button, which, let's face it, can be hard when moving at the speed of 5G. But pause is a critical first step. And should you choose to try it, I suggest that you shut down your device before inviting rain in. When intrusive judgments arise, those wrong, what's wrong with you moments, whether directed inward or outward, can create a deep sense of overwhelm. So take a breath. Take two. Center yourself. Begin with recognition. Ask yourself, what happened? Try not to judge and draw conclusions. Just notice, and then return to the breath. And with time, your body's natural defenses relax, and they take a back seat. Next comes allow. With recognition, things feel roomier. Now you have space. Invite the experience in. Show it the chair. Serve it some tea. Try not to push it out the back door. Just let it be and breathe. But now it's time to investigate, or maybe the better word here is inquire. With interest and care, ask yourself, how do I feel? Name names. I feel angry, sad, hurt alone. Where do I feel it? Is it in my heart, my lungs, my belly? Is that feeling familiar, new, unexpected? This can be hard, so try your best just to stay present. And finally, we arrive at nurturance, engaging strong emotions without judgment or blame takes effort. So be gentle with yourselves. Taking time to recognize, allow, investigate, and nurture helps us build compassion for ourselves and for others. With practice, we can learn to stop the othering that keeps us separate, and slowly we can begin to mend the connections that help make us whole. I'm reminded of a time back in my 20s when I thought to become a parole officer. I told my dad, thinking he would be happy that I'd finally found my life's direction. Instead, my dad, the always consummate college professor, told me to take a writing class. How, he asked, do you go to college and not know how to write a good declarative sentence? To tell you the truth, I'm still working on that one. I put aside my aspirations and bent to his judgment, thinking, Father knows best. About three weeks into the class, the professor asked to speak with me in private. He handed back my paper and said, I hope you don't talk like you write. How would anyone ever understand you? If I had known rain then, I might have had a chance. Instead, I dropped the class. I dropped my plans and spent the next few years lost in the wilderness. While I valued my father's judgment, this experience left me unsafe and uncertain. While I know his intention was not to shame me or make me feel stupid, his judgment had a lasting effect. For years, when it came to his counsel, I hid.
What I learned later in life after much counseling was that my father was stuck in familiar old patterns of blame and shame from which he struggled to get out. Turns out he'd learned to hide too. When I finally shared my story, he responded with empathy and understanding. In turn, he shared some of his struggles, which only helped to heal mine. When blame gave way to forgiveness, the mending began. What I saw was a man of great depth and caring, who, like me, questioned himself and wondered how he measured up. For too long, I had judged my father and turned him away. It wasn't that he didn't know better, he just didn't know how. These days, when I practice rain, I think of my father and imagine us sitting together, quietly, silently, widening the circles of our shared compassion. A wise man once said, a heart is not to be judged by how much you love, but by how much you are loved by others. Dear friends, let us not be estranged. Let us feel ourselves part of that cosmic web of connection. It's time now, so let's get on board. Come together and join hands. If you're more comfortable, you can put your arms across your chest and we'll send energies your way. Wait. <laughs> In this leaving, let us hold on to this the enduring of love, the persisting of hope the remembering of joy, the offerings of gratitude, the receiving of grace, and the many blessings of peace. Peace be with you all.
The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org 